But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We find ourselves a few days into the beginning of a new year. And the dawn of a new year has a certain open quality to it, because so many of us are painfully aware of what has been dragging us down in 2023. For some reason or another, we allow ourselves to dream and think big around this time in ways that we don't let ourselves during the rest of the year. There is a certain mood that captures our attention around what could be in comparison to what has been. If you could look at your life and give it a score over the past year, what would that score be? Or if you could place a title on your experience of 2023, what would it be? We have hopes and there are realities. We have expectations and we experience failures and joy and sadness. And regardless of whether or not your 2023 was full of memories you will treasure or if it slipped by you without a thought because everything was just so-so, we all crave new beginnings. We want to cast off that old coat with faded colors and we want to put on something fresh, something that is us. Part of what I realized in 2023 is that my mind and energy went to so many things that I felt I was obligated to do, rather than what I felt excited by. We all have obligations and responsibilities, but too often those activities do not fill our cups. They leave us wanting something more meaningful. We know that committing ourselves more fully to what we were made for is tricky because a new beginning sometimes requires death. Sometimes we have to put to death one thing so that something else can live. What is it for you? What do you feel trapped by and where do you dream of spending your time? What fresh beginning are you looking for? What I want to put forward in this reflection is that Jesus' coming into the world at Christmas marks a time in which everything, everything can be new. In the Incarnation, something irrevocable has taken place. It's as if a large stone has moved from the top of a mountain and will continue to roll. Nothing can stop what Christ's entrance made possible. In one of Howard Thurman's Christmas meditations, he writes of this sort of enduring presence of Christmas in our lives. And he writes how Christmas is this symbol that points to the reality that what is crooked will be straightened out, that life always stands in defiance of death, that love is steadier than hate, and that good is more permanent than evil. Christmas and the start of a new year help us to be more aware of what we hope and dream for, 
but I want to suggest that Christmas is the reality that new beginnings are always within reach. Whatever dark and negative thing that looms over us is forever in remission. This is the good news of our post-Christmas lives. And this is what Paul is getting at in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 5, which I read at the beginning of this episode. Paul writes in that passage, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption and cry out, Abba, Father. Christianity in its earliest form was not a separate movement from Judaism. Yet the announcement of Jesus and the Spirit's ability to awaken true faith in non-Jewish people in the ancient Mediterranean world caused a bunch of Jewish people and non-Jewish people to rub shoulders a lot more than before. Yet there were certain obligations and social norms that non-Jewish people were challenged by as they entered into these more Jewish spaces and began to hear more about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the teachings that helped people keep their covenant with Yahweh, known as the Law of Moses. What Paul is getting at in Galatians is Jesus came so that we can be free in a way that wasn't possible before. This is what happens when Jesus is born in our hearts. Our stone hearts become flesh. It's like we live a brand new life. It's an inside out change. This doesn't mean that a person should stop practicing the law or stop being outwardly religious. But Paul is concerned that people are teaching new Jesus followers that the law is necessary. And in contrast, Paul is saying that only one thing is necessary. Faith and trust. Faith and trust is when we come to the point where we say, I am putting my eggs in one basket. In one basket because I know that Jesus holds firm in all situations. What Paul is trying to say to the Galatian audience is that before Jesus, people didn't have the same understanding of what God was seeking to do with and in humanity. Jesus' entry created this opening for us to be free since no person is left uninvited. Paul gives the image of an estate and workers. Paul says that we are no longer servants or employees, but family. Through faith we cry, Abba, Father, which is this deeply personal way of calling on your dad in that region of the world. It's like a young child saying, Daddy, in America. If we are part of the family, we don't have to pretend that we are someone other than we are, or we don't have to carry ourselves in the same way as before. We can be honest. We can be real. The project of honesty and real living that God is working on in our lives is seen so clearly in the Psalms of the Hebrew Bible. The Psalms are called the prayer book of the Bible or the prayer book for the people of God. And often when I read the Psalms, I am shocked about just how honest many of them are. 
What I'm trying to say in giving this example is that we are invited to move into this new year with true honesty. We don't have to pretend or merely exist to fulfill what others want and expect of us. We can now seek to live whole lives. Whatever due we think we owe or whatever due someone else thinks we owe is somehow made null in the freedom of Jesus. All that is left for us is to give that freedom away, to give that freedom away to others. But how can we make sense of this when so much of our happiness is dictated by our abilities to achieve or act in this newness? Or how do we sort of move forward with this information if it just feels like this information is sometimes hard to hold as we move through so much of our lives that is just not new, that is just not fresh, that is not exciting? As you hear this message, you might be excited by this new possibility of newness before you. But soon, that excitement will wear off. How can we make sense of something that is irrevocably given by God, but at the same time it feels so distant most of the time? Well, many have wondered about this, and they've sort of used this word, sin, to describe how it is that we feel so much of the time. You see, sin isn't a word to describe the areas of our life that are filthy, but sin is used in the Bible to describe just the the oldness and the weariness of life. Sin is sometimes described as this power, this thing that is pushing down upon us that limits our ability to live fully. Sin can be used to describe the brokenness and the limitations we all feel. Sin is that limp that we constantly walk with. One individual who thought a lot about this tension between our old selves and our new selves was John Wesley. John Wesley was one of the founders of the Methodist movement, and the Methodist movement was interested in Christian perfection, which is this idea that grace can completely transform us in such a way that our lives are more and more holy, and that our passion and love for God and neighbor is always expanding. But what if it isn't? What if we feel sort of stuck or or trapped? What if we find ourselves held beneath and held down by something that God's grace cannot seem to lift. Well, in a sermon that John Wesley preached on the topic of repentance, he wrote that sin, it does not reign, but it does remain. It's like Wesley is saying, whatever it is that seems to constantly hold you back, it does exist. It's there. It is real. But it's not the thing that dictates the future that God opens for you. Imagine it in this way. Suppose you live in a country, and that country has a monarch. And in this country, there are hundreds of people that don't like this monarch. They wish that this monarch would just die off and that something new would come about in their country. 
But regardless of whatever those hundreds of people feel and whatever tricks and schemes these people might have, they are always less in power. They might make noise and cause some people to feel uncomfortable. They might make life sort of unbearable. But they're not the ones who yield or who wield the true power. That is the monarch. Whatever the monarch does has true consequences, whereas what the enemies have is simply the ability to make noise. This is how I think this works. Whatever it is that causes you to feel so out of touch or out of control, whatever it is that makes you feel so much less like you, it doesn't rain. It just exists. It's just there. But it's not the one that wields true power. God wields the true power. That God was the one that created our tiny speck in the universe and put it in motion and made it full of life. But we're also shown that God is a different sort of ruler. In God's kingdom, no one is merely a subject, but an heir. King Jesus is the only ruler who is first and foremost interested in our freedom. That is God, our good and merciful God, our creator, redeemer, sustainer, and friend. As we continue to live into this new year, let us do it with whole and full hearts. Amen. Oh,